take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. <coughs> Let us begin reading, or <coughs> listen as I read from verse 8 to verse 19. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city uh, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he, was pre for he has prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Please uh, join with me in prayer if you would. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your good and promises that you have given to us that your word would not return void. And I pray uh, for that this morning, God, that as your word goes out, that it would find fertile soil in, in our hearts and that your Holy Spirit would apply these things uh, to our lives. Uh, Lord, we know that that's the last thing that Satan wants and he's there to, to snatch up that word and, and seek to, to take that away. But we know, God, that you are greater than the one who is our enemy. And we pray, Lord, for a fruitful harvest of your word this morning in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we return again to, to Hebrews 11. And, and as we do, uh, we are reminded that there are really two ways to live life, as it were. The one is we can live life by sight, by the things that we see, by the things that we experience with our senses. But then the other way is to live our life by faith, and that is basing your life primarily on what you cannot see. And of course, as Christians, we live our lives by faith. Um, we have never seen God, we have never seen Jesus Christ, we have never seen the Holy Spirit, or heaven or hell, or, or anything like that, and yet we live in the conviction of all these things by faith. As a matter of fact, we bank our earthly lives as, as well as our eternal destiny 
on things that we have never seen. And that is the way the people of God has have always lived. It's a life of faith. And, and what we get to see here in Hebrews 11 is what that faith looks like, that life of faith, and the different features and aspects of that faith. And this morning what we're going to do is to look at Abraham's life and to see what it shows us about faith. And I want us to see three things this morning. First of all, the pilgrimage of faith. The pilgrimage of faith. Uh, second of all, the power of faith. And third of all, the proof of faith. The pilgrimage of faith, the power of faith, and the proof of faith. And so let us look at our text this morning. First of all, the pilgrimage of faith. Now, life for the Christian is a pilgrimage. It's a journey of faith from beginning to end. And there's probably no one who's a better example of that than, than Abram. Um, God called Abraham to leave his home in Ur and to settle in Canaan. We see that in verse 8. Um, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to the place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out. Now, it doesn't mention specifically Canaan, and Genesis gives us more details about this account, and so we know that it's, it's Canaan, but he was called out, and that's one of the things about faith is, is that, and, or a journey, is that it calls us out from, from the past, from where we were, and, and leaving the old behind. I think oftentimes when we think of Abraham, we think of this great patriarch of the faith, do we not? I mean, even Jesus in his encounter with the Pharisees, you know, would, would share that he was the son of God. And, and the Pharisees would say, what? Well, we don't need you. We're the children of who? Abraham. Because they saw him as this great figure. But, but as, we, as we look at Abraham here today, we see that when God called him, he was a sinful heathen. That he grew up in an unbelieving and an idolatrous society. Now, we don't know how exactly God first made himself known to Abraham, but we do know that, that Abraham grew up in a pagan home. We see that in Joshua chapter 24 and verse, 20, or verse 2. And so, like any journey, there's a beginning and a leaving of one place to go to another. Well, the life of faith begins with the willingness to leave one's Ur, if you would, that, that, that town where Abraham lived, one own place of sin and unbelief, to leave the system of the world. That's, that's sort of what happens at the beginning of faith. There's sort of a definitive change in a person's life. Now, kids, maybe even adults who have grown up in Christian homes, you know, it, it may not seem that way so much for you. For many that come to faith in Christ later on in life, there's that definitive change from unbelief to belief. But when you grow up in a Christian home, uh, sometimes your testimony is like that of my wife and so many other adults that I've heard where they will say, you know, I grew up in a Christian home and I never can remember a time when I didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, because that was so much a part of their upbringing to hear the Word of God preached, to hear the Gospel and, and to see that lived out, not perfectly, but to see that lived out in, in their home. But nonetheless, even though that might be the case, there still is a sense in which there is a definitive understanding of who God is and a, and a belief in Him. And the evidence of such a change 
is that complete break from the old sinful life, both inwardly and outwardly as well. And, and the reason is, is that when God calls someone to himself, there's a, a change. Oftentimes, a, a radical change in that person's life. Now, they may not feel that change. You may come to faith in Jesus Christ, and you may not feel like there was anything spectacular that, that happened to you. But we know from what God's Word tells us that there were very radical things that happened to you. Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, there is, there, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Brothers and sisters, that's radical. And that happens for every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And not only are they a new creation, but the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But it's not only that we come to faith in Jesus Christ like that, but we also walk like that. Paul also tells the church at Rome, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, we are called to live differently, to live by faith. Um, now, sometimes giving up that old life is one of the greatest obstacles to people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I think honestly, in America, that's why there's so many people who profess faith in Jesus Christ because so many churches now are no longer calling people uh, to uh, leave their old life, but they're simply saying, come to Jesus. Admit your sin, say you're a sinner, and come to Jesus. But there's no sense of forsaking the old self, forsaking the old life, the old allegiances, the old love. And, and also, this can be one of the greatest obstacles to faithful living once we come to faith in Christ as well. Uh, because of worldliness. Worldliness is sort of that force that, that makes us want to hold on to, to the old life. We often think of it only in terms of our actions, that we're worldly in our actions. But really, it's more of an attitude. Uh, it, it is the desire or wanting to do things that are sinful, even when we're Christians. Whether we actually do them or not. You know, it might be wanting the praise of other people, whether they actually do praise us or not. There's that desire there for that. And we actually want that. We want to act on that desire. That's what worldliness is. It's, it's the outward, uh, maybe, desire uh, to just give in to our anger or, or to pursue the lust of our hearts. And, and we want those things. And those things, that's what worldliness is, whether it's acted on it or not. It is outwardly holding maybe to a high standard of conduct coming to church every Sunday. Maybe you're a person who says, well, I don't go out to eat on Sundays because I keep the Sabbath. And, and it looks good outwardly, but, but inwardly there's a longing to live like the rest of the world. That's a sense of worldliness. And the worst sort of worldliness is a religious one because it pretends to be so godly externally, but it's motivated by selfish worldly desires. So worldliness is not so much what we do as what we want to do. It's not determined so much by our actions as it is by our heart. Who or what is it that we love? The root of worldliness is the desire for sin, even though that is the very thing that the Christian is to put to death in his life. What does John tell his congregation in his first epistle? He said, do not love the world or the things of the world. 
or in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, one of the surest evidences of the demise of worldliness uh, in the life of a believer is a change of desire. Is as we grow in Christ to love Him more, and 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 our love for the things of the world begins to diminish, because as we love Christ, we can't love the things of the world. Uh, they simply lose their attraction, and and we we no longer want those things as we once did. And so the pilgrimage of faith begins by separating ourselves from the world and concentrating upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The life of faith begins when God reveals Himself to us. And in Abraham's case, this evidently was through some kind of divine visitation. For us, it might have been through hearing a sermon preached that we realized our need to come to Christ. Or it might be as we were doing a Bible study or reading the Word of God. Or it might be that you were growing up in a Christian home and, and, and maybe even you struggled against the Gospel from time. But eventually you saw the reality of that. And, and you followed him. But in every case, faith begins with God revealing himself to someone who's lost in sin. And that call not only involves believing some abstract facts about who God is, but it also involves following him. Because the call of faith, brothers and sisters, hear this, the call of faith always is followed by the life of faith. If God has called you, if he's regenerated you, if he's made you a new believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has also called you to follow him in that life of faith. And so on this journey, there's sort of a past that we, we leave behind. But as a believer walks down that path, as he goes down this journey, there, there's also a sense of patience as he looks to the future as well. Uh, for Abraham, this meant responding to God's call to leave his home in Ur and go to Canaan. Now, it's, it's really sort of surprising if you look at it. I sort of filled in the blanks because I was referencing Genesis that says that he was going to go to Canaan. But verse 8 tells us that Abraham didn't even know where he was going. Talking about things unseen, what is faith? It's the conviction of things not seen. And, and that's where Abraham was. God called him out of Ur to an inheritance but he didn't really tell him where he was going. God didn't lay out his plan to Abraham, but simply told him to obey. And brothers and sisters, that is the nature of faith. The faith always demands decisive action. And it always manifests itself in the obedience of God's commands. If God says it, yes, I'm there. I'll do that. It's not just blind faith. There's a reason. Faith sees God as trustworthy but oftentimes, many times, without all of the details that are there. Now, you may have wondered, if you, as you've walked with the Lord all these years, why doesn't God tell me what's coming? You might think that God is, is being cruel. I, I remember uh, years ago when we were first married, my wife you know, made that comment. She said, you know, I just wish the Lord would tell us what's coming down the road. I think that would make it so much easier to handle when those things happened. Well, then, as we were married longer, and, uh, and God took us through some very dark waters, sometimes it might have been situations in churches, sometimes it might have been a parenting thing, or, or maybe it might have been uh, the death of a, a grandchild or, or something like that. You know, and, and you walk through those dark waters, and you go through those bitter times, 
you know, I remember my wife saying, you know, now I know why the Lord doesn't tell me. Because if He told me where He was going to take me and how hard it would be and, and, and just how impossible it would be for me to go through that, I would run the other way. And so it is God's grace that He doesn't always give us a clear path all the way to the end and telling us where He's going to take us. Sometimes He just wants us to walk with Him day by day, faithfully trusting Him. And He will walk with us even through the, the valley of the shadow of death. And so faith always has sort of a, a time for, for waiting and for, for being patient. Not only is there that uncertainty, Sometimes in, in faith, um, but also uh, awaiting and being patient, as we see in Abraham's life. God had promised Canaan to Abraham, and yet we read in verse 9, By faith he went to live in the land of promise. Which is exciting, right? God promised him an inheritance, the promised land, and, and he went and he lived in it. But look what else he says. As in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So here is Abraham living in the promised land that God said that he would give to him, but he lived there as in a foreign land. In other words, he was a foreigner. He wasn't from around here. He was a stranger. He was somebody who, you know, didn't belong here. And he lived that way in that land for his entire life. And not only that, but he dwelt in tents, which, you know, does not sort of give you the idea of a permanent residence, does it? Uh, a tents were for nomads. They were for strangers who traveled from place to place. And even in Abraham's day, tents were not a sense of a permanent residence. So there wasn't a sense in which he settled down. As a matter of fact, Abraham lived in the promised land his whole life, and yet he never owned more than just a small portion of land. And that piece of land, he negotiated simply so that he could bury his wife. And in, so, in one sense, it was a promise that was never possessed, as we see in verse 13. And so Abraham spent a lot of time waiting. He, he waited for his son uh, for years that, that he finally received. He also waited for a land of promise which was never given to him. And yet, he waited and he watched and he worked in patient belief that God was faithful. We see that in verses 8 and 9. In verse 8, as God calls him out, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed. And then as God called him out to go and to live in that land, it says that he did so by faith. He trusted the Lord. He saw the Lord as faithful, as, as worthy. And uh, this presents a, a classical picture of the life of faith. You know, we have great promises from God, which belong to us now, but by and large have not yet, we have not yet experienced. I mean, even think about the hope of heaven. You know, we are looking forward to that. There, there's always in that sense of faith, sort of the already and not yet character of, of the life of faith. You know, what does the writer say in verse 1? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, not yet experienced completely. Maybe some, but not completely. The conviction of things not seen. And, and Abraham's experience shows us that the life of faith is not one of receiving all of God's promises in tangible form here in this world. Rather, 
of having to believe even in the face of hardship and waiting, receiving them by faith, confident in and reliant upon God while we wait. Now, waiting can be hard, right? We're not always so good at that when God has given us promises for us to wait for those promises. You know, if we knew that Christ was coming back maybe a month from now, maybe He's going to come back in November, we might uh, think that we could give our full attention to forsaking sin and praying and witnessing and serving and doing all the other things that are the Father's business, right? We could do that for a month, to devote a whole month entirely to the Lord if we knew that that promise would be fulfilled. But to be about the business of the Father month after month, year after year, with His promises seemingly no nearer being fulfilled than what they are today, then, then when we were first saved even, that takes patience. And that's where God calls us to live, is in that waiting. And, and some of you may be walking in darkness today, much like Abraham. You, you don't know exactly where the Lord has you, why He has you on the road He has. You don't know why the Lord has brought you to this turn in the road in your life that He has. But let me remind you, let Abraham remind you that it'll be okay. Lean on God's promises. Trust in Him. Know that His promises are trustworthy. Now, this may be where some of us get confused. Because many of us, at least subliminally, you know, if we really think about it, we believe that God has promised us a good life, a happy family, a good health, and, and all of those things. You know, we sort of equate the American dream with God's promise. But the reality is God never promises that. Um, he never has. What He has promised is to rescue us and to save us and to give us an eternal joy that cannot be compared with anything else. He, is a, he has promised us even greater than just the American dream. And so we must lean on God's promises and be content that He knows where He is taking us in our lives. You see, the secret of Abraham's patience was this hope in the ultimate fulfillment of the promise of God. You know, he, His ultimate promised land was heaven, just as it is for us as well. You know, even though with Abraham, even if he had possessed the promised land, he would not have been satisfied because as verse 10 tells us, he, he would have longed for more, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. As, as nice as the fulfillment of earthly promises are, the Christian's true yearning and hope is set on that which we do not see. In one sense, uh, you've heard that it's possible to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, right? And you may know people like that. But, in a much deeper sense, let me suggest to you that it is impossible to be of any real earthly good unless we are heavenly minded. Because it's only those who have their minds fixed upon heaven that can be patient in the midst to continue faithfully in God's work when things become hard, when things become unappreciated, when God tells us to wait, when things seem to go on almost unending, difficulties and trials and things that we're wrestling with. 
There, there's no greater cure for discouragement and f fatigue or self-pity than to think of being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ one day. To spend eternity with Him. So brothers and sisters, we should never apologize for being heavenly minded. Because you see, what gets us in trouble is when we concentrate on things here below. When our focus is on the world, then everything, every little thing that goes wrong or seems to last too long or is not successful or not appreciated, those things begin to drag us down, do they not? Do you ever find that in your life to where you're, you're living life and one little thing happens and it just like ruins your whole day? Because that's where our focus is. It's upon the pleasure and the things of this world. And that's why Paul tells us to set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. When our minds are on heaven, we will be patient with whatever happens uh, down here. Now that's my first point. But understand that's my longest point, so you can rest assured we won't be here all day. But as you look at that pilgrimage of faith, then I think it's important to ask, what, what does our faith receive? And the answer is, it receives power. It receives power, the power of faith. By faith, Sarah herself, in verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promise. So faith gains power. It gains supernatural abilities. Now, in, in one sense, the way I stated this probably is not 100% correct when I talk about the power of faith. Because faith itself does not have power. Faith itself really gains nothing. So when people on TV tell you that you just have to have faith and then you'll receive your miracle, that's wrong. Faith has no power. God has power. And what faith does is it receives what, what God has and what He has promised. That's the role of faith and the life of the believer. That it receives what God has and what He promises. Now, this is where, let me just pause just a moment and just sort of help you to, to understand something about the Christian life. You know, from the perspective of the old life, from our sinful nature, the, the life in Christ can appear dull and even unexciting. Uh, but that's because we cannot see the blessings and the satisfaction of life in Christ until we trust and have faith in Him. And what I mean by that is this. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms, Paul tells us in Ephesians, with all these blessings in Jesus Christ. Okay? And while those things are true, apart from everything else, God has done these things, we will not experience those blessings until we believe that God has done this for us. And so for the Christian, we believe the things that God tells us, and then we experience those things. For the world, or the old nature, we experience things, and then we believe them. Okay, we experience them, and because we experience them, we believe them. And sometimes we carry that over into the Christian life, and we think, I'm not experiencing anything. I, I know Paul told me that I'm a new creature in Christ, but I don't feel it. I don't see it. But there's never a sense of, of, of saying, Lord, I believe you. I don't feel it. I don't see it. But I trust you. 
because I know that the things that you say are true. And so that faith is, is, is so important um, that we trust. So anyway, so uh, Sarah, you know, God has promised Sarah a child. And Sarah believes that promise. She's not received it. She's not seen it happen. But, it, but the text tells us that she believed that promise, even though her faith was mixed with unbelief. We know that from the book of Genesis, right? Uh, you know, uh, and, and we've, we, you read that when the angels come to Abraham and they say to him, guess what? This time next year, your wife Sarah is going to bear you a child. And what's Sarah's response? She laughs. She laughs. Okay? Uh, so she didn't always believe. But if you think about it, it's very understandable why she laughed. I mean, her womb has always been unfruitful. And now, even if she was a fertile myrtle and she could pop kids out like anything, she was too old to have children. And so that was another strike against her. And then the text here describes her husband, Abraham, as being as good as dead. Now, I don't know about you, but those are some pretty major obstacles when it comes to the idea of having kids. Okay? Humanly speaking, it's impossible. It is not going to happen. That's just all there is to it when you look at these things. But by faith, by trusting in the power of God and His promises, all things are possible. Not because of our faith, but because of God's power. And so the text tells us that from that very unfruitful old womb and this almost dead man came not only a son, but descendants. As many as the stars of heaven and is as innumerable as grains of sand by the seashore. Now, brothers and sisters, this is amazing fruitfulness. Amazing. How could this be? Well, the text tells us, because Sarah considered him faithful who had promised it. Now, that seems like such a, a simple statement, and yet there's a world of truth and glory in it. You know, because you might be wondering, you might think, Sarah, how could she put up with all that barrenness all those years and still trust the Lord? Well, let me just add something to that. Rick Phillips, uh, when I was reading his commentary, he, he made the point, he said, you know, Abram's name means father of many. And, and Abram was a man who was a nomad. He traveled all over, so he met all kinds of different people. And can you imagine... Uh, someone comes up and says, so what's your name? Oh, I'm Abram. Oh, father of many. So how many sons do you have? Well, actually I don't have any sons. Oh, all daughters, huh? Well, no, actually, I don't have any kids. Oh. And then on top of that, then later on, the Lord changes his name. And it's no longer Abram, father of many. It's now Abraham, father of a people or father of a nation. So you see that constant reminder. And you say, Sarah, how can you live in the midst of that? You're barren. Your husband has been given this name that he can't live up to. Well, obviously, Sarah didn't live perfectly up to that because she gave her handmaiden to her husband as his wife. 
and he's like, okay, maybe this is how God wants to fulfill this. And, and of course, they had a son, and it was a big mess, and we're still feeling the ramifications of it today. Uh, but the text tells us that Sarah considered God who had promised faithful. Brothers and sisters, is God faithful? Do you believe that? That He is faithful no matter what? All of His promises come true. What an encouragement to us as a church. I mean, I think about the fact that, you know, we are placed here in Andover along with the other churches that are here. And, and part of what God has called us to do is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to go out and be witnesses. And yet, we have primarily a church of introverts. You ever thought about that? I'm not saying everybody here is an introvert. I know that's not true. But God's given us primarily a church of introverts. And yet we're going to go share the gospel. But you know, His promises are true. And we may not understand how He will figure that out, how He will do that. But we can trust His promises. But this also to bring comfort to you this morning. I don't know what you're facing this morning and what you're going through. But God is faithful. And there are great obstacles uh, in our lives. I mean, take, take for example, our salvation. Uh, there are uh, eternal, there are obstacles to our eternal salvation. And I could name three of them this morning. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And any one of those three things would be enough to attack our weak faith, right? If it were left up to us. But if you combine all three of those things, then what hope do we have of being saved? Uh, what hope do your children have of being saved or your loved ones? Of course, it's only possible because God. Because what does the gospel tell us? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what? You will be saved. You and your household. You will be saved. Brothers and sisters, consider Him faithful who made the promise. Has God promised that He would never leave nor forsake you? Has He? Then consider Him faithful who made that promise. Has God said that the work that He begun in you, that He will carry it on to completion? Then consider Him faithful who made the promise. Has God ever said that though your body will die one day, that you will live with Him for all eternity? Has He told you that those who are your, who are your relatives, who are in Christ, are, are today more alive than they ever were before as they spend eternity with God in heaven? Consider Him faithful who made that promise. Brothers and sisters, let this be the, the, the mantle, the banner over our heads, over our lives, that God is faithful. And all the riches that I have in Christ is by faith. Faith receives that which God promises always. Now, notice verse 13. He said, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Now, wait a minute. You said, Pastor Rick, you just said that faith always receives that which God promises, but then now I'm reading that they didn't receive what God promised. How do you, how do you reconcile this? Well, Sarah did receive the son of promise, her and Abraham. It says that they saw these promises from afar. Israel, uh, Abraham didn't receive the land, but his descendants did. Israel received the promised land. 
So what did the author mean when he said that they had not received the promises? Well, if, if you look at what the verse says, Abraham and Sarah received the promise, and the descendants received the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, but, but, they did not receive that which their souls deeply longed for. It was not their homeland. See what the text says? It was not their homeland. It, it was not what they were made for. What we see here is that faith wants more than anything that we can have in this life. That's where the Christian faith takes us. Even the blessings that God gives us in this life. Faith wants more. It hungers for heaven as its home. Verse 16, But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. And so faith is hungry. It's not satisfied without God. Faith desires the presence of God. Faith refuses to be satisfied with anything less than God Himself. And so we read in verse 16, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. You see, God delights in the faith and, and has prepared a place for those who have such faith in Him. And so God has blessed us with so many graces in our lives, whether it be our homes or our food or our clothes, our family, our work. But as great as these blessings are, we all know that this is not what we were made for. We, we, we are all blessed. And yet, our hearts tell us that there is much more than the things of this world. Doesn't your faith hunger for Jesus? Doesn't your faith hunger for a homeland where there is no sin and no suffering and no death and no pain? Not just because it will be a better place, but because God is there. And His glory and His magnificence is there. That is the faith that honors the Lord. And this life is a journey and we're not home yet. And so if you're here today and you have heartache or you feel a sense of loss or maybe you're struggling maybe with darkness or, or discouragement what that means is not that you're lost. It doesn't mean that God has forgotten you. If, if you have an ache inside of you that nothing in your life seems to satisfy I don't care what you do. You try to find a new hobby, you find a new career, you're looking for different things, something to address that ache within you. If those things are part of your lives, then brothers and sisters, don't worry because they are simply reminders that you're not home. You're still on the journey. You're not made for this place. You're not made for this earth. And we are not satisfied, and it's okay to say that. Let us not pretend, or even worse, let us not try to make this world our home. Let us not think that if, if only I had a better marriage, then I would be happy. Or if I had a more successful career, then everything would be okay. Or, or if I were married, or if I had children, or if I had better children, then I would be home. But none of that is life, though, as God has promised it. It's all good. But let us confess that this is not what the Christian lives for. We are hungry for something more. But only in Christ is that something more ours by faith.
So we see the pilgrimage of faith and, and the power of faith, and then finally just the proof of faith. Uh, the proof of faith, of Abraham's faith, was his willingness to give back to God everything that he had, including the son of promise that had miraculously been given to him. Look at verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. After all this waiting and all this wondering, now God asked Abraham for the son back, through which God said that he would bless Abraham. How could Abraham then offer up his son? Because he had complete trust in God that he would do whatever was necessary to fulfill the covenant that God had promised Abraham. He knew that God was faithful. He trusted. His faith was that deep in, in the Lord God. He even understood that God could raise Isaac from the dead if he needed to to fulfill that promise. You see, the real proof of faith in a person's life is a willingness to sacrifice and to follow God wherever he may lead. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, what? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. May we sacrifice everything to do the will of God. When John Bunyan was in jail for preaching the gospel, uh, he obviously missed his family very much and no one wants to be put in a prison, especially one in his day and time. And so he prayed to God and he said, God, would you deliver me if that is what is best? But he said, keep me in prison if that is what would best glorify you. Well, as you know, if you know anything about the life of John Bunyan, the Lord kept him in prison. But it was in prison that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. You see, the heart of faith desires God and for His will to be done, resting on God to keep His promises and be glorified. Brothers and sisters, as we consider this this morning, let me ask you, how are you living your life? By sight? Or by faith? Do your priorities and your goals and your schedule revolve around primarily, you know, the American dream, trying to make life the best you can? Or are your eyes set upon heaven and the promises of God? The Bible tells us that in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen because they are fulfilled, they are done. And do we know God to be faithful? Do we trust those promises? Do we trust those realities that we read in His Word? Even to the point that it molds and shapes our lives. That we might live to His glory. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you so much for the word that you have given to us and that you are faithful. God, I would, I would pray today for any that feel that call, sense that call of yours to come and to follow you. They may be hesitant to do so because they don't know if they could commit everything to you. But Lord, I pray that you would show them that you are faithful. God, that you care for your people and you love them. Even when you take us down through dark waters, you are there with us. And you always will be. And you care for your people. And I just pray for the, the soul, Lord, that may be wrestling with trusting you that they can give their all to you and to rest in you. Father, I pray maybe for any that are here today that are going through difficult times and and, and seeing the circumstances of their life and not understanding the things that are going on and trying to process these things and understand them and understand where your promises come into play. May they see, God, that you are faithful. That even though they can't see how things will work out and, and how maybe things have disrupted their life more than they could ever imagine, it's, it's just not worked out the way they expected. May they trust you, God, knowing that you know the beginning and the end. And you know why you brought them where you brought them and why you're taking them where you're taking them. And may they trust and may they rest in you. Lord, I pray that in our lives that we would be people who live by faith and not by sight. God, that we would live for eternal things. God, forgive us when we have given ourselves and our time, our money, and, and all these things for the pursuit of things that will just one day pass away. Forgive us, God, for, for being so simply and easily satisfied uh, or pacified, maybe would be the better word, than really being satisfied in you. Let us live for eternal things, oh God. Let us live in the promises that we have been given in Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our Lord. We thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen.